five key points I'd like to raise. Um, one is in relation to um, the issue of fragmentation that Bonke has spoken about, um, the, and the question of the social determinants of health not being looked at simply in terms of um, uh, food, water, sanitation, education, etc., but looked at in terms of poverty and inequality, because people who are poor lack all of those rights. Uh, so we ourselves need to actually address the way in which we fragment the rights um, in, in thinking about the rights and in trying to address the rights. Um, so the Poverty and Inequality frames the Human Rights Commission strategy. Um, and the issue of water and sanitation, which is the second one, um, the way in which we approached the rights to water and sanitation uh, was really in terms of looking at it as indivisible to every other right, interdependent with every other right. And what we saw was that um, those who lacked water and sanitation uh, were the same children, people who lacked uh, access to decent schools that had proper toilets, water, etc., laboratories, um, and other school essential school facilities. Um, the, this, we're going to be going into to focusing as a country on gender-based violence in the next while, and yet uh, we know that the lack of water and sanitation has dire consequences for gender-based violence in our country, and the connections are very clear. Um, and I can spell that out in, in the question time if there's need for that. Um, the, third, I, the third point I want to look at is the issue of uh, what were our key findings. And one of the key findings was the replication of the apartheid spatial geography. That those who don't have rights, who don't enjoy their rights, remain people who are in apartheid former homelands, townships and informal settlements across our country. And so we have to address that if we're going to change this. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a surprise that the child uh, who gets uh, her fingers or her toes uh, bitten by rats is in Alex, uh, not in Santon. Um, that, that was a planned uh, program. That was the way in which apartheid worked. It was, it was based on a very clear plan and strategy. Uh, it's not accidental. Poverty is not accidental. Inequality is not accidental. Um, so we, we have to actually look at, uh, whilst the findings uh, reiterated, I think what all the panelists have, have pointed to, the need for intergovernmental cooperation uh, and collaboration, um, the, lack, the need for greater participation, the question of who's shaping policy, are those most affected and often worst affected shaping public policy in all areas. The issue of um, um, the way in which the Commission tried to, to hold its hearings on water and sanitation, we also invited um, other Chapter 9 institutions like the Public Protector to come and deal with cases of corruption. We invited the uh, Commission for Gender Equality to come and deal with um, the very real impacts the gendered impacts of a lack of water and sanitation. Um, but 
those are quite critical questions in relation to collusions, inefficiencies, corruptions, etc. Um, but I want to move to, to the question of budgets and um, the way in which we, who is it that we value, who is valued by our budget choices. Um, and, and in relation to that, I suppose I want to refer to, even though we've said as a, in terms of the health, um, the National Health Department, that community health care workers um, are critical. And yet there's been, at a local level, uh, cuts in budgets for community health care workers. And we've seen most recently in the Free State uh, the cutting jobs of, of community health care workers. So, so the, what's framing, who, when people who are making budgets, what frames who they see, what they see, what they value, who's invisible, who's silent, in terms of budget technocrats? Um, the, Obviously, one of the other issues that came up was the issue of capacity building. And again, if you're saying that the apartheid spatial geography is what's framing uh, who has rights and who doesn't, the question of where you would actually put your capacity building programs is critical. Um, and what we saw was that the DBSA, for example, conducted a program around capacity building for municipalities but its focus was really on the large metros and the big municipalities, and not the poor municipalities. And uh, even when those big municipalities are trained, they don't seem to be retrained to value poor communities. So where they spend, what the scale of their tariffs are, who's paying in terms of the tariffs, the sliding tariffs, are important things to actually analyze to see who's actually paying. And I suppose the last thing that I want to end with, and obviously the issue of contracts was a critical question. Are those contracts being scrutinized for human rights impact? Um, the, I want to, to end with looking at the question of who shapes policy, because the Universal Declaration for Human Rights says that very clearly that to be able to realize the rights in the Declaration, and in South Africa, we've got a great constitution and we've signed on and ratified many human rights treaties. But the Universal Declaration says that in order to be able to realize those rights, you have to have a social and international order that will be able to address those rights, to enable governments to re address those rights. But if you take, and I want to take three um, quick um, illustrations of the way in which that is undermined. So if we take at the local, in our country, if you say that water is a human right and it's not a commodity in terms of our constitution, then you look at who's using the most water, who pays least for the most water, who's wasting most of South Africa's water, and um, who's polluting most of our water. And that's not the poor community as illustrated often by the dripping tap in the poor community in an informal settlement. All the research shows that those who are, in terms of all of those questions, uh, it's, it's business, it's the private sector. So and I give a statistic here. The government's own statistic about rural water is that those who use most of uh, the rural water, 95% of rural water is used by under 2%. 95% of rural water is used by under 2%. 
question of who's there's two percent. So you can't change access to water unless you look at that. If you're looking at municipalities in poor rural communities, they can't deal with the need for that water by just simply looking at the 5%. Um, the other two are, are the issue of food. If you look at who owns the seed in our country, it's um, global corporations, about three global corporations, including Monsanto. What that means for the price of seed, because people have to buy the seed every year, because this is terminator seed, it cannot be regrown, reused. Um, and then I want to look at the issue of medicine, uh, because if you, if you take the TRIPS exemption, which enabled countries to access or to afford, uh, to, to, to access or to produce generic equivalents, the reality is that poor countries and middle-income countries haven't accessed the right. And to understand why they haven't accessed the rights, you need to look at the bilateral trade agreements. Because almost every single bilateral trade agreement with the United States, for example, writes out that right. That's been won by poor countries in the TRIPS exemption in terms of ensuring access to affordable generics rather than patents, which are owned by a very small number of companies. And to end, the issue of the general agreement in trade and services directly contradicts uh, the, our constitutions um, defining of water, for example, or health, or education as human rights. The general agreement in trade in services defines them uh, as tradable commodities. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think what we're going to do is we're going to allow the panelists to, starting with uh, the to, to respond on any points that might have been raised. So each two minutes of time, and I think there were some fantastic things that came out of what Greg was saying that perhaps should be 